Hello and thank you for being here with me. Welcome to another episode of the Tyra Raymond Poet Show. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with poet Yvonne Ugarty, a wonderful person with a lovely personality. Yvonne has been writing since she was five years old. Yes, you heard write five years old and there was me thinking I was clever writing since the age of 14. Well, obviously I was wrong. Um, Yvonne was brought up in a children's home from the age of eight months till two. She was then fostered and adopted. She used writing as an escape from the trauma of childhood. She now works in a primary school in Leeds as a one-to-one support worker. She's a trustee of three charities which she holds very close to her heart. She's a regular performer on the open mic scene. She's passionate about the planet and the environment. She's also appeared on stage in front of 200 people in the Millennium Square climate change event. She's also a songwriter and has written um, lots of songs for over 30 years. This is called Earth Song, and I wrote this before Michael Jackson wrote his, by the way. Okay, and this is one that I'm probably most famous for. For millions of years since the world first begun, I've shielded your Earth from the rays of the sun, but thoughtless effusion of diesel and smoke leaves your planet engulfed in a cancerous cloak. I have no defence from lee safe sea. The ozone am I. Don't you care about me? You've hunted me ceaselessly through countless years for fortune and pleasure with harpoons and spears. A gentle colossal, what song can I sing if sounds forever by the poisons you bring? How toxic that waste you pump into my sea. I'm only a whale. Don't you care about me? My ancestors lived in the dinosaur age. You view me as clumsy in permanent rage. My horn is now prized as a positive cure for your impotent men. Is it worth my life for? I've nowhere to run to. I'm no longer free. A rhino am I. Don't you care about me? I've peopled your meadows, your mountainous plains, created new cultures, brought life-giving rains. I'm one of the earth, but by your foolish greed, you deny me a future. Oh, people, take heed, for I weep for creation and how it should be. If your race does not care, then it's too late for me. Thank you. Thank you, Yvonne. What a wonderful piece. I've heard this on um, at Swark, actually, when you read this, I think, a few times. Uh, so it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And I'm just so excited because, as I said, yeah, as I said before, you know, we've seen each other, but we don't really sometimes get time to kind of have a chat and get to know each other more. Uh, so I'm really interested in knowing about um, you started writing when you were five years old. Now, I started writing when I was 14, but five, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that. I did because I was brought up in care, so I was in children's homes, and it was pretty pretty dire, really. And mm. um, instead of talking to people, I found it much easier to write. So I actually wrote my first poem was about a pixie. I imagine mm. this little pixie in the grass. And I remember putting, uh, I can't, obviously can't remember the poem now, but it was something like, Little pixie on the grass, a simple, mm. a single dewdrop must seem like a looking glass. So it was like mm. my imagination was fired right from, you know, right from an early age. It was like I saw 
you know, I saw magic in everything. Yeah, yeah, it's such powerful stuff because obviously when I read that in your bio, I was like, five, you know, I thought it was a big thing to start at 14, but yeah, that's just... And do you think that connects to what you were going through as a child? Oh, definitely, Hmm. definitely. So everything that I went through, good or bad, I wrote it down. Yeah. And I find that's much easier. Um, I just think it's much easier because it's it's deeper somehow. Whereas if I said to you, mm. oh, when I was five years old, you know, mm. um, I, I imagine there were pixies in the in the grass, and it'll be you wouldn't probably oh okay then. But if I actually showed you what I'd written, yeah, it'd be like wow. Do you know what I mean? Well, and I, about because yeah. I remember writing about toadstools and stuff, and do you know what I mean? My imagination ran riot. Yeah. It was amazing. Definitely. And to demonstrate the power of writing even further, um, you say you used it as an escape from the trauma of your childhood. Do you want to do a bit of a deep dive into that for us? Oh, definitely. Because we're, because when, when you're fostered, um, you're going out to all these different places and you're hoping that you found your forever, forever home. Mm. I didn't actually find my forever home until I was 10. Mm. Um, and I can remember the judge uh, going in front of this judge and he'd got his white wig on and everything and he just said I remember him saying to me um, oh little girl you've got a really big decision to make now you can either go with the family who've, who've been fostering you mm. or you can go back to the children's home so it was like well it's a no-brainer is it I didn't want to go back to the children's home no so obviously um, I went with this couple but that's, that's how huge that decision was at that time and how um, I didn't get any support with that it was just like black or white it's this or that yeah, and so, you were so young yeah. and having to, obviously your instinct knew um, what the right decision was, but having to make that kind of decision and being thrown into that, it must have been very difficult for you. It was, it was, yeah. So I wrote about that as well. I've written about everything, do you know what I mean? And uh, it's really helped all sorts of events in my life. And and I find that amazing as writers and poets that, you know, we use it as an escape, but also um, as a tool to to uh, journey through those feelings in a form of expression as well? Definitely, definitely. I mean, I lost my little boy just before he was two. I'm not sure if you knew that. Um, and he was at Martin House Hospice, which is an amazing mm-hmm. place. Um, mm-hmm. And I just woke up one night and was, was staying with him before the funeral and everything. And these words yeah. just kept coming round and round in my head and I thought, I've got to write them yeah. down. And I know people think different things, but I'm sure they were my son's words because it was like from him you know it, the, the poem was like uh from him and so mm. it was read out at his funeral and I think what he was saying is um mm. don't worry mum I'm okay I'm here I'm, I'm in God's playground now and you don't need to worry I've got no more pain he had meningitis um mm. and it was it was wonderful for me that was really cathartic because it was like there's no way in the state that I was in the trauma mm. and the the um the desperate grief and everything that was going through there's no way I could have put something together like that so I do believe it was don't worry mum I'm okay now I'm okay I'm here it's amazing it's such an amazing way to look at it as well it's such an inspiring way to to look at it and see how you dealt with that definitely definitely it's not a minor thing I've always always been into books I mean I could read a newspaper at the age of five as well so I've I've always loved words and um just I'm inspired by by words because they paint pictures to me. Do, mm. do you know what I mean? Yeah. They do, don't they? You know. Yeah, of course. 
definitely especially the words that you the poem that you were just sharing the first few lines of that you wrote when you were five years old which I can't wait to see myself that's just it's pretty remarkable you were quite a talented talented little girl mm. weren't you I was I was but but nobody really took any notice of that and it was only really when I went to high school um, mm. and I had an English teacher and she she always encouraged me she says when you leave school do something with your writing. And you know when you're like 15, it's like, well, yeah, but I want to go to cinema. I want to go yeah. bowling. And, uh, you know what I mean? It's like it doesn't really hit home. But then when I had my first book published hmm. uh, when I was 29, like, wow. Yeah. When I was 29, I sent her a copy and we carried on writing to each other right until her death. And But oh. she was the only person probably in my life who hmm. believed in me. Oh, and it's, and it, hit, it, you did it, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It was so she could see something all those years ago when I was a teenager. She could see mm. something in me. Yeah. Definitely. And you 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 couldn't really see it except uh without realizing and being conscious of it, you were utilizing this talent uh as an escape, but you probably didn't think until she said that actually I can do something with this. That's true. That's true. I didn't I didn't I just thought well, I probably thought that everybody did it. I thought, you know. Mm. Yeah, 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 and definitely at that age, you just, like you said, you just want to um, be out there and do what you want and not, not quite serious into what you're going to get into. Uh, tell me more about the work you do um, uh, in a local primary school um, in the Beeston area. Oh, yeah, well, I've uh, lived in, in Beeston since I was adopted. I've, I've lived here, like, for um, over 50 years now. I'm, I'm 61 this year, um, and I... I've I've done various jobs, but this is this is I've been here about thirteen years at this school, and I love it. I love the ethos of the school. I love the mm -hmm. young, dynamic teachers who bring um, that energy and vitality into the classroom, and it's interactive and uh, yeah. it's such a fun fun way for the children to learn. Not like I don't know what it was like at your school, but at my school, it was like a revolving. Um, board that the teacher used mm. to write on and if you weren't fast enough the board went underneath and you, you, you'd lost half your work do you know what I mean but it was just writing on a blackboard you're copying but now it's like what do you think and come out to the front and show us and it's wonderful and I think that's, that's amazing children to learn I love it I love it I, I wish I yeah. were a child now <laughs> learning how they learn but I've always worked with children who bang to a different drum and I really mm. enjoy that it might be like three steps forward and two back. But in my mm. eyes, it's still a step forward, however small it is. And we've got to concentrate exactly. on their ability, not the disability. Yeah, that is such an amazing philosophy to hold. And I just love some of the things you've said there about enjoying what you do. Um, I was going to actually come on to that question, but you've just answered it. Why is it important to enjoy your work? Oh, because it's, it's a reason to um, get up every day and know that you're making a difference. It doesn't matter how small that difference is, but because the other um, teaching assistant in our class, and we're such yeah. a good team with the teacher as well, that mm. our children are like our little chicks, really, and we're like little mother hens, and <laughs> we just love it. <laughs> and Aww. we work together as a team, so we've got all got different strengths and weaknesses, but we <laughs> all help each other, and I love that. I love it. And so when we had our observations this year at school, um, yeah. They came and, and they said, what a dynamic force you three are. And that's lovely. So we know that we're doing the right thing. Exactly. I and you can't buy that feeling, can you, or that kind you of can. feedback? Mm. You can. I couldn't do a job 
um, where it was like, oh, it's work today. Oh, I'm mm. looking at the clock. Oh, good, it's time to go home. I've never been like that. I love every minute, every 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 minute of it. I do. I love it. So it inspiring. Me alive. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, because obviously, as we know, there are a lot of people who um, don't enjoy their jobs, and even go as far as saying that that they hate their job. And it's really sad because sometimes it's circumstances, but it's important, isn't it, to journey through that and try and find your place and work towards getting to a stage where you could be in a situation that you know you think right I need to be in a job and find a job that I'm going to enjoy yeah I agree I've resigned from two jobs because I didn't have that um Mm. I I didn't feel that this is where I need to be so I've resigned from two jobs but every other job I've gone for is one that I've wanted to do I've had some really amazing jobs as well yeah. Excellent. And what did it take for you to step out of those? Was it difficult? And what did you have to do? Oh, well, the, the, the first one I resigned from, um, I was working in a call centre. And mm. it, it, it sounds really good. And the, the training that we did was really fun and exciting. But then actually, when we actually got the job and we were like sat at a desk answering calls, and mm. you had to put your hand up to go to the toilet, it was like, I thought, hang on oh, a minute, I'm gosh. a 40-year-old lady here. What are you on about? Do you know what I mean? And, um, and we, we had theme days where you had to dress up. And so this particular day that I resigned, I was dressed as a pixie. And mm. I was going to think about pixies. And I was dressed up with a green tights on, green tunic, green hat and a bell on and everything. And, um, it's, it's, oh, and they got me into the office and they said, um, oh, you, you didn't sell this lady um an overdraft you didn't you didn't try and sell her a credit card and blah 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 and I Mm. said well no I said because I said if they want something like that they're going to ask me I said I'm not going to get somebody into debt which isn't what they wanted to hear so they Mm. said well we need probably need to think about your um your role and you're letting your team down and you know and they put all this emotional pressure on me so I thought oh so I said you know what I said I don't need this job and I walked home dressed as a pixie Mm all along the main road, all these cans peeping. And then I realised, I've got to go back and get my clothes now. <laughs> but it was the principle wow. of it. Do you know what I mean? So I'm quite principled mm. that way. Yeah. Definitely. And you were true to yourself, which a lot of people struggle with. You know? um, yeah. They're not quite sure. They're taking steps and thinking, am I doing the right thing? Or they're constantly needing other people's approval. Whereas you, you just stood up for yourself and thought, this is not me. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people stuck in a job where they haven't got that, um, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't got that strength of self to do it. But I thought, well, yeah. do I really want to do this? If I fast forward 10 years, do I really want to stick, still be stuck here doing this? No. Getting called no. into the office and putting my hand up to go to the toilet. And I thought, no, I don't, no. So that was No, that. definitely. Yeah. And what kind of tips would you give to people who perhaps uh, have never really sat down and thought deeply about, you know, uh, the fact that they don't like their job and the kind of negative effects it's having on their life? Because clearly it does. What, w- what would your tips be? Do you have any tips? Yeah, I think I'd do what I think the very famous Mae West once said, feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah, feel I love that book. Yeah, excellent. Do it. Just step yeah, out your and comfort it, zone. And it, it's scary, but you've got to do it for yourself, for your sanity. Even if it means dressing up as a, as a what was it, pixie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to go to that extreme, though. That's all right. <laughs> well, yeah. if it helps, it helps. You know, yeah, giving yeah, it yeah. that bit of extra drama, why not? 
Well, it was funny. We did have a laugh. Yeah. Afterwards, oh. obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, afterwards, obviously, you laughed at it. And I think from your work, it, I don't know if, um, if this is true or not, but it sounds like this is a part of you that's wanting to give other children something that you didn't quite receive in your childhood. Do you think that's got something to do with the work that you do? Definitely. Absolutely, definitely it is, yes. Because I want to empower these children to be the best they can be. Nobody believed in me apart from that one teacher. And mm. um, I remember when I passed my 11 plus, nobody expected me to. And I remember mm. me, uh, my mother, my adopted mother said, um, oh, our Yvonne's passed her 11 plus. And her brother, who I never got on with, my uncle, he said, yeah, but she's not exactly university material, is she? And I remember him Gosh. saying that. And I was in the room and I'm thinking, okay. But actually, he did me a favour because a light bulb went off in my head then and I thought, you know what, nobody mm. is ever going to tell me and put me in a box and tell me what I can and can't do. And I worked my socks off and I went to university. Wow. And I felt like I felt like saying to him, excuse me, uh, oh, sorry, I'm just calling you from the university. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> I mean, actually, I went to university to be a social worker. I went, I went to uh, do social work. But of course, my son got um, the first bout of meningitis. I'd started in the September. He got the meningitis in the October. Um, and he was obviously very ill, and he, but he survived. He came round, and all the tests came back negative. But in the pneumococcus, which is the strain he had, it stays embedded in the brain and spine. And nobody knew, so all the blood tests came back negative. But it was so deeply buried they didn't show up. Yeah. So seven months mm. later, when I was still at uni doing part-time degree, um, he, he woke up. He was cutting his back teeth and his temperature spiked and it woke the meningitis up and it killed him within seconds. Mm. He was singing so... in his pot and he just stopped singing. But it, that's how fast it just killed him. Mm. But he was singing. The... At the end of the day, wouldn't we all like to, to go with a song in our heart? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't think he was scared. Yeah. I think because he'd, he'd died, inverted commas, the first time and they brought him around, mm. I think he'd been to wherever it is we go and he wasn't scared. Mm. I really do believe it because they said he had streptococcus in his inner ear as well. Mm. Uh, so they said he must have been in a lot of pain, but he was singing. So hey-ho. Do you know I what I mean? It. I know, it's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. It's a yeah, miracle. So he, he is my inspiration. So on those days that you have that are a bit tinged with grey, uh, not for any mm. particular reason. It might just be a wake-up and you're just feeling a bit, oh, I feel him sometimes, you know, and he's saying, come on, Mum, you've got mm -hmm. this, you can do it. And I feel him with me all the time. So amazing, yeah. it's so beautiful, and you've turned a story of hurt into a story of inspiration, clearly. Definitely. And they, I'm talking 1998 when he passed away, mm -hmm. so it's a long time mm -hmm. that I still feel him with me. Always. Amazing, and that power just definitely just released in your words, and and I think as a, as a person as well, because I've seen you, you've got such a warm, loving personality. Um, mm -hmm. I think that definitely goes to explain that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Cheers, lovely. You're welcome, and I think I think for a lot of people, um, it's you know it it's difficult to turn childhood experiences around. So like if somebody's had um, comments like you did or remarks even, um, and it's mockery really. Um, and words hurt. Words, as, as writers, we know that words are extremely powerful and they can stick with you. You remember them, but you've been able to kind of stick up for yourself even since you were a little girl. And, and in fact, that's turned into, into your strength. 
Yes, I agree. I agree. I think we've all we've all got that um, ability to either step back and say, "Oh, poor me, I can't do this." Um, Nobody expects me to do it, so therefore I can't. So I'm going to stay in this little box where I'm all safe and warm and never actually step outside it and try something brave. Or you can say, you know what, that's a challenge. I'm going to pick up the gauntlet and I'm going to run with it. And I did. I yeah. chose to do the second. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you really didn't have any any sort of mentor. I understand you had the teacher who, you know, um, uh, said to you, you know, she recognised your talent and for real and said to you, you should go into writing and then you did your book at 29. But um, was there any any um, mentoring as such in your life or did you listen to any audio tapes or, or I keep saying tapes, honestly, I don't know where I'm getting this word from. Um, but <laughs> in those days, yes, tapes. <laughs> no. uh, but did you read any particular books that have stuck? What helped you? What helped you during well, this I journey? Think, I think some of the great writers like Oscar Wilde and... Um, Mm. Burns and Keats and all the great all the great writers I think inspired me and it was like wow you know and, and I just got lost I got lost in the words even now if I read a book I mm. don't hear anything that's going on around me the kettle could be boiling the washer could have finished the, I don't hear anything I'm lost in that moment and I don't know what it is I've always been able to do that the words just come off the page and come alive somehow. And I'm sure you feel that as well, Clara. It's just amazing words. I just can't imagine yeah, the world without absolutely. words, honestly. Yeah, exactly. And and it's funny when some people say, um, like, I don't know, for example, if someone's, um, I've heard this before, like justifying um, using bad language. Um, and obviously each to their own. Whoever wants to use bad language, yeah, yeah. it's obviously up to them and it's their form of expression. It's absolutely fine. But um, someone once said, you know, um, it's just a word. You know, it's just a word. And I was thinking, no, it's not just a word. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> words are powerful. Words hurt even more than more than scars, physical scars. They do, do. So, you know, when we were children, we were told that sticks and stones may break mm. our bones, but names will never hurt us. That's a lie. Because I, I would rather somebody kick me and bruise me <laughs> than bruise my heart with words. And we've all had words that have bruised our hearts. And that does stay with you. I'm sorry it does. Whereas a bruise, yeah. oh, it hurts for a bit and then it fades and it's gone. But a word will stay. Very true. Yeah, so true. It's so true. Even like if somebody says um, a couple of nice words, how that can affect your oh, day and how it can change. Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. Powerful. Yeah. And you're quite passionate about the environment. Again, um, you know, coming from your warm nature and um, clearly you're an ethical person. You're quite passionate about the planet again in your writing. Um, and as I mentioned before, you know, I think it comes across in, in how you are. Why do you think it's important to have a passion for the subject that you write about? Oh, goodness, it, it, it does because it, it sets you on fire and it hopefully ignites something in other children or other adults or wh whoever you're talking to. I mean, we, we do it at school. I do a lot of narrative verse. So, for example, the children in year six were doing about Anderson shelters and world war and things like that. And I, I did a poem about uh, please don't go to war, daddy, and it's written through a child's eyes. And I went into the classrooms mm. in year six and I read it out. Um, mm. and it helps them. So when they're doing like the big writing and stuff, they'll think this is how that little boy felt when his dad were going to war and he was saying, you know, don't, don't go over the top, you know, don't wear the uniform and, and things like that. I did it all in a narrative first for the children. So it stayed mm. with them. So that when they were doing the big write, they were able to, to see how this little boy felt and put themselves in his way, in his, 
you know, in his shoes. And I do that. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah. And going back to the work that you do, I mean, Beeston, we all know, you know, whenever people talk about the area, there are, there's always negative connotations. But then there's somebody like you who's who's been brought up in that area and you're doing such amazing work. What would you say to people like that? Oh, I, I don't think you can judge um, a place by the people because we've got some astounding writers and artists mm. and uh, performers and singers yes. all in West Yorkshire and Leeds and Beeston. Yes. I mean, look at Philpins, mm-hmm. for example. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. how, how can you actually say we have got nothing? We've got everything. I mean, the Beeston Festival, obviously, I don't think that'll be going ahead this year, but you never know. Um, but we have mm-hmm. an amazing turnout of people and artists and poets and spoken word. And I mean, I even do ventriloquism, as you know, so I do a bit of everything and I love it. I love stuff. Like yeah, that. you do. Do you know what I mean? And we, we, you can't, you can't absolutely it in, in every area has got a gem somewhere in it. You've just got to look for it. Look for the diamond in the rough, fancy there. That is so true. And with Beeston, I understand, obviously, you know, there's um, problems there. But actually, I think those problems have given strength to some of those individuals because when you go through experiences like, um, you know, drug addiction and pain and all this stuff, I think it then gives you empowerment to express yourself. And I think Phil Pace has contributed to this quite a lot. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Phil is a friend as well. And, and I'm, I'm always blown away perform even if it forms the same piece mm. it puts a different something into it and it it, it yeah. comes alive it's like wow I mean, and this is it these are the people who inspire you it's like the words set you on fire and sometimes it, yeah, it doesn't need exactly. to be a long piece piece but in something in that uh, wow it just blows your socks off what it's about absolutely yeah, and it's true and it's sincere and it's from the heart, from personal experiences, which again, you know, takes us back to the point of having a passion on the subject that you write and not to pretend. Because yeah. um, uh, I think if you try and put a structure to your poem or your story, which is fine for some people, but then you don't want to kind of, um, you know, commercialise it. You want it to be original, want it to be from your heart because it shows up in your performance. Yeah. And, I, and I believe that. What do you think about that? I do. I, I couldn't be a commissioned writer. I couldn't have somebody say to me, mm. oh, Yvonne, I'm bringing out a new tube of toothpaste <laughs> or something like that. I want you to write um, something for it. And it's like, mm. I couldn't do it. If I don't feel it, I can't write it. I can't physically write it. I can't do it. If I don't feel it, I can't write yeah. it. I have to feel it. Something inside me has to, has to, there's to be a little spark of something for me able to write or to write a song. Something yeah. has to be there for me to do it. Yeah, and tell me more about your songwriting, because now um, when I see you on stage, I'm going to get you to sing a song, because <laughs> I didn't know that you wrote songs as well. <laughs> yeah, I wrote my first song when my son is, is now 36, when he was about four. Mm. And we used to go to what they call a pram service, which is like at the local church. We, there used to be loads of mums get together. And we'd have a tea and a, a coffee and some cakes and some buns and, and have a laugh and, and talk about um, our children going to preschool or nursery or whatever and we used to just all get mum, young mums getting together and I wrote um, this song about Noah's Ark and I because uh, I do cart- I can draw cartoons and stuff so I drew all these cartoons of all the characters in this song for Noah's Ark mm-hmm. and I got all the little ones 
uh, like the one-year-olds and the babies and whatever, and I hung them on the pram and whatever. And we sung the song, we learnt it, and we sung the song. And every time an animal was mentioned, the children would hold up this little cardboard figure. It was really cool. Oh, that is so creative as well. I loved it. <laughs> Love it. And then, of course, uh, um, our school used to sponsor two children, children from Swaziland. So me and the music teacher, mm. uh, who has now gone on to great things as musical director, oh, it's amazing. Um, we we just mm. clicked straight away. And to raise funds for these two children, we wrote a charity single. And this was uh, our choir. We used to run the choir at Beeston Primary. They performed it. They mm. We recorded it. It was made into a single. It was promoted um all mm. over, we used to go all over and sing. We went to the White Rose, we went up to Leeds Rhinos. Uh, it was made into a single. It was launched at the White Rose. Billy Pierce was the host. Mm. I don't know if you know Billy Pierce. He does a lot of stage stuff. He's a really funny man. Um, he came and hosted it. Um, we mm. sold hundreds and hundreds of copies. It was amazing. I'm not surprised. And so the resources from, the, from that... Um, enabled us yeah. to buy loads of resources to take to Africa. Then we all saved up, me and some other teachers, and and we all saved up, got the airfare, we went over to Swaziland, and we met the children that were sponsored. Mm. I can't tell you how wonderful oh. that was. Wow, that is just so amazing. You see, I didn't know all this. Yeah. <laughs> Where have I been when you've been doing all this? <laughs> this was about five years ago, and it was amazing. It was wonderful. Mm. And then another song that, I mean, me and Danny wrote about seven songs together. Another song that we wrote was called Magical Christmas. And that was performed mm. uh, at the town hall in front of 1,800 people. Me and my friend Lynn were sat in the VIP suite, uh, seats, suite, seats. Mm. Um, <laughs> and the Youth Philharmonic Orchestra played it. And the Youth Girls Choir sung it. Lee's Girls Choir, sorry, sung it. And it was amazing. It was a amazing. real moment in my life, that. And it was incredible. That is amazing. And it tells a story about you starting from childhood up until now. And in the midst of it, there's been so much pain and, um, you know, disappointment. But again, so much growth that you've you turned those experiences around and turned them into a story of inspiration. Oh, yeah, clearly. definitely. Definitely. <laughs> um, and you performed at the Millennium Square in Leeds for the climate change oh, wow. event. Um, and to get... Yeah, and to get to that stage, you know, performing in such a huge crowd, in front of a huge crowd, how, what does it take? To, what what has it taken you as a performer to get to that stage? Oh, my goodness. Well, if, if I hadn't have been at work, I would have gone on the march, <laughs> I have to say, because it's such a passionate <laughs> thing, but obviously um, I was at work. Mm. But, but I only work half a day on a Thursday and Friday, which worked out absolutely brilliantly. So at half past 12, mm. I shot down, um, hoping that I hadn't missed mm. my slot um, on the stage. And it was amazing. Yeah. There were there were young young people there from colleges. There were school children there. There were teachers there. There were students from the university. Mm. It, was, it was electric. I can't tell you what the atmosphere was like. Yeah. There were banners. Um, there were people saying... Um, I mean, David Attenborough, who is my hero, I have to tell you. Uh, David will save us. Um, oh, it was, it was, I can't tell you what it was like. It was just amazing. And so when my turn came and there were over 200, in fact, there were over 200 people. I can't remember how many there were. Definitely over 200 people. Hmm. And I was stood there in front of them and they were all, it was, it was, oh, I can't tell you. It was just amazing. It was just amazing. And I was just talking about, 
um, how you as young people, you can change the world, you can turn it around. I mean, it's in your power now. Mm. You've got to care about the planet. Mm. And so then I, I, I did the Earth song that I've done. And then I did another one mm. um, that I've done about um, plastic pollution. Another poem that I wrote. Mm. Um, and it was amazing. It, it, it was, oh, I can't, I can't tell you, Tyler, what it was like. I, I, it was so emotional. It was, whew. I mean, before we broke up for yeah. school last year, before summer, I said to the mm. children, we were talked about, we'd been doing um, a project at school about pollution and the planet. And I said to them, wherever you go at summer, I said, whether you're just in the garden, the park, on holiday, um, mm. an aeroplane, the beach, wherever, wherever you go, I said, pick up three things of rubbish, whether it's a lollipop stick, a crisp packet, a bottle, whatever. Mm. I said, and put it in the bin. I said, there's 700 children in this school. I said, if you all mm. pick three things up, what a difference you will make. And I do think it's as simple as that. Absolutely. If our children, we, it, it's yeah. our young people, they can make the difference. Those children and young people in a Millennium Square, they can make the difference. They can do it. They've got the skills and the technology and the time to do it now. They've got to do it now. Mm. I mean, we're yeah. losing so, so many species. It's it's heart it's heartbreaking. This beautiful planet. It is. It is. And I think I think it's definitely. I think this coronavirus is like a wake up call, you know, for for our Earth. But the good thing is, because there's no aeroplanes mm-hmm. and there's not as many cars on the road mm-hmm. and there's not as much pollution, mm-hmm. the Earth is healing. I do believe mm-hmm. that our Earth is healing. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. It's, and it's all the uh, habits that we uh, form as young children. You know, we're just taught that. What difference is it going to make? Um, and you're going back to the philosophy that you hold, that, you know, if, if each of that, each child in that room where there were over 200 people picked three things up from yeah. the floor, what a difference yeah. that would make. And when people, um, you've got to think big, people think that, you know, if I pick something up, uh, you know, uh, I'm doing it for somebody else, I'm doing it for, for the environment. But firstly, you're doing it for yeah. yourself. And then you do exactly, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, one of my pet hates as well is if I see people like trampling flowers or um, throwing tab tab ends down, or and I have to bite my tongue because I think I'm going to get my face at this rate. I want to go up to somebody and say, "Pick that up, put it in the bin." You know, yeah. it's it's really hard, but it's ingrained in, and it's David yes. Attenborough's fault. Because he's been part of my life for all these years, and he's, he's brought it into my living room, and it's like he's—it's he, his fault. Yeah, blame him. Um, and he's an amazing ambassador for our country, uh, for our world. Sorry, not our country, yes. our world. Yes. Well, first country and then world, of course. And you remind me of my brother. He's really, um, he loves David, I can't even say his name, sorry, David Attenborough. He's a real fan of him. Uh, moving on to the virus, we were going to come on to that question oh, yeah. next. Um, clearly, you've got a really positive attitude about it. About it. Um, I have as well. Uh, as, as a poet, writer and a performer, um, and all the amazing things that you do, what advice have you got for people that probably haven't really written anything um, in particular? And as a writer... What tips could you give to somebody in isolation who's struggling or struggling with boredom um, and just struggling with the whole situation, really, and just can't see the positives about it? 
I would, I would just do what the majority of us are doing and looking out of the window and still seeing the beauty. Spring doesn't know about this virus. Mm. Spring is still bursting out all over. The buds are still coming. Um, mm. Write about them. Draw them. You know, and, and like imagine yeah. what the smells like if you can't get out into your garden, but you can see a neighbor's garden or whatever. Just think about it and mm. write, draw it, smell it. You know, you can use your imagination. I mean, I'm very creative, so I mean, um, whatever, whatever. I mean, you can make bird boxes out of out of egg cups, not egg cups. Um, what are they called? Like plastic takeaway things. You know, you can you can do all sorts of things for the environment and help and hang them up from a tree and let the birds go in or you can put things out for hedgehogs and you know there's all sorts of things you can do to help the environment as well and to keep yourself occupied and busy baking you know. exactly yourself fulfilled yeah there's so there's so many things that people can do and and I think other things like getting around to the things that um, you never really had time for because we were so busy with our routine there's just so much benefits to what's happening and um, that you know you just have we couldn't even begin with uh, with saying it. And obviously, um, that's not to acknowledge that it's difficult. Of course, it's difficult. But I just love what you said about the environment there. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I used to, many years ago, one of my other jobs, I worked in a, as a nursing auxiliary um, at one of the hospices, yeah. at Wheatfields Hospice. And sometimes all all the patients wanted was to go in and paint the nails, talk to them, tell them what kind of weather it was mm-hmm. outside, tell them about my family, about my pets. Um, and just be there. Mm. Do you know what I mean? If if their family couldn't be there for X Y Z reasons, just be there. So I think in, mm. it really moved me to think of all these frontline key workers working flat out in these care homes and hospitals and hospices for these people, and that's what inspired me to write my next poem, really, because I've been there and know what it's like. And is that the poem that we're going to end with today? Yes, it is. And I have to be honest and say to you that when I wrote it, I cried when I wrote it because mm. I remembered what it was like working at the hospice and I remembered um, just a small thing like that, just being there for somebody, not just saying it, not saying the words like, oh, yeah, you know, if you're in trouble, just give me a ring and I'll be there, but actually doing it, actually being mm. there, even if it's the end of the phone, Tyra, do you know what I mean? Just actually say it being there and not just empty words absolutely it's just so so important isn't it and it can make such a huge difference to somebody's life like you said and that's why tears came to your eyes because it's such a powerful feeling and you were able to empathize with this person as well yeah yeah and before we go into go into an intro to that poem um my question is when this is all over what's the first thing you're going to do contact all my family and friends that I haven't been able to and said <laughs> when are we gonna have a street party and put loads of food and, yeah. and hugs that's what I've missed most the hugs it's all right sending a virtual hug and one of my friends on Facebook mm. was saying that what she's going to do is she's going to get loads of envelopes and stamps and write to people and I said what a good idea write to people because I think a lot of people have forgotten what it's like to actually receive a letter through the post not a ping on your Facebook but a letter through the post saying hi how are you this is a pressed flower you you know just like we used to do it's been lost I had 10 friends when I was younger and it has been lost I do write to people because I've got a lot of relatives who live all over the world so I do still write physically but I mean to friends you don't do it do you 
and I'm, I'm going to start. We doing don't. It. No, it's just like a quick. So thing. look out yeah. for your look out for your That's letterbox because I'll be sending letters to people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would be a beautiful thing to receive at this time. And I think you're absolutely right. If anything, it's given all humanity time to pause and perhaps get closer to those who are important to us. And definitely a personal touch, yeah. a letter, uh, things that we, we never think about and time to just think and focus on those things that are important. Now, before we move on to the introduction to your amazing poem that we're going to close with, is there anything else, Yvonne, um, that you want to add to no, this? No, I just think to the world in general, Keep on, keep on and stay in and do be aware that if your child or your uncle or your friend or your parent or whatever mm-hmm. gets ill and has to go to hospital, you will not be able to go with them. You will not be there to comfort them, to talk to them, to hold their hand. You will not be there and they will do that journey on their own. And if, God forbid, they pass away, they will pass away on their own just with mm-hmm. nurses and doctors, but they won't have you with them. So please... Yeah. Think about each other and stay safe. That's so amazing because it also goes back to uh, an ex- the experience that you had with, with losing your son. And if anything, you know how yes. that feels uh, and you can empathise with us. But you're not just giving this tip from uh, just trying to be judgmental or just, you know, uh, as a general tip, yeah. you've been through this. And obviously people are going through loss when they've lost their uh, loved ones through the virus. Um, but you're able to give that from personal experience and, and, and from a spiritual yes, level. Yes, definitely from a spiritual level. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Because we don't know. Well, Yvonne, I have to say that I am absolutely blown away. Um, and I just can't wait to dive into the oh, final poem. The promise. The birds still fly in the clear blue sky. The trees still sway in the breeze. Nature unfurls in our virus-filled world, bringing hope with the sunshine and bees. Life as we know it has changed, this is true. We don't know what the future might bring, but I savour these hours among sweet-scented flowers and rejoice in the promise of spring. Thank you. What a great discussion with Yvonne and a wonderful and uplifting poem to end with. Just what we need to hear during these difficult times. Uh, A lot of common sense. Um, Yvonne, thank you very much for your insights. I just wish more people could um, think like you. Um, If you want to find out more about Yvonne's work, you can simply find her on Facebook, um, Yvonne Ugarty. And if you want to come and see her perform, you can find out on the Swark Poetry page and in Leeds and Bradford open mic events. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. If you have something to say or want to ask a question, then send me a voice message. And if you felt inspired, then why not share this episode with someone who will benefit? Don't forget to subscribe so that you can be notified of future episodes. And take a look at my book, Mirages to Reality, which is available on Amazon. It contains a gift from me, a poem, written on any subject that you like. And finally, if you have an event, spoken word night, or a festival, then why not book me in to perform one of my poetry sets? You can find out more on www.tyraraymond.com. Take care.